FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there. And the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. Licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan. Operated by students at the University of Michigan. Uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Well, it's time for another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. And uh, all kinds of stuff going on globally, nationally, internationally, etc. Spring may get here later in the week here in the state of Michigan. Here's open. Uh, I wanted to quickly congratulate the Red Wings. Uh, I think this is a remarkable accomplishment. 20 years in a row in the playoffs. 11 straight years with over 100 points. And, well, that's a uh, record in all four of the major team sports, yeah. by the way. And I think the media overlooks what a great organization the Red Wings really are. It's uh, sad when you get another report about the Yankees cheating, apparently uh, stealing signals and have guys up in the stands uh, giving hand signals to batters. This is a team that won some championships with uh, steroid... Uh, enhanced players uh they spend all the money in the world and the media covers the yankees not the red wings the hockey people know the red wings <coughs> are probably the best professional sports organization over the last two decades and uh, this weekend's events prove it so we wish them well we don't know who they're going to be playing in the playoffs but uh yeah, another week to go before the uh, regular season concludes, and uh, all of those positionings are determined. Up in the air, and it's interesting that uh, of their three remaining games, two are with the Blackhawks, and they can determine the fate of the Blackhawks uh, probably in a big way. National championship game tonight. Uh, I look for Connecticut to win that. Uh, I think Butler's Cinderella story is over, but you never know. Been a lot of upsets in sports this year. So we root for the underdogs usually. Uh, but I think that uh, Connecticut's got too much depth, too much talent, too much size. And unless the officiating um, 
goes Butler's way in a big way, and usually that's not the case in a championship game. They usually let the players play. Connecticut will win, though the X factor is the point guard for Butler, Mr. Mack. He's uh, played incredibly, and he could pull up the upset, and the three-pointer negates everything. So we'll see what happens. Some quick cultural brain damage awards. Let's give out a brain damage award to the pastor down in Tallahassee. I think his name is Terry Jones, not to be confused with the Monty Python. Terry Jones. But burning the Koran and then creating all these problems that have ensued, uh, particularly in Afghanistan over the weekend. Basically, we had a mob uh, attack the U.N. in uh, near Mozar al-Sharif killing 12 people, um, unable to find American targets. The mob went after the Western target, the United Nations. This has created all kinds of problems and look for more uh, violence in the Middle East to result from this completely irresponsible, brain-damaged act by the pastor, Terry Jones. Well, he discredits the very term pastor uh, for such behavior. It's really difficult to, you know, sort of figure out what somebody hopes to accomplish by burning a book yeah you know ideas cannot be destroyed uh if there are things that you don't like in a particular text what good does destroying a single copy or even a hundred copies do uh and of course anybody who knows anything about sacred texts knows that uh there's much uh, similarity between uh, the Bible and the Quran. The two are linked and connected in a number of important thematic ways. If you're looking for a book filled with hatred, violence, and bigotry, it's the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> there's uh, just as uh, Chomsky once, uh, I think, uh, Riley uh, commented that uh, it's the most genocidal text in the Western canon. And certainly uh, one doesn't need to read too far in uh, the Old Testament to see just how accurate a statement that is. So what this guy hopes to accomplish by burning uh, a book has really nothing to do with the ideas at play, because clearly he has none. It's uh, self-aggrandizement, it's publicity, and the real uh, victim uh, is, uh, you know, the perhaps even our troops in Afghanistan. Well, yeah, it's interesting that... It certainly uh, doesn't make their lives any easier. General Petraeus had to issue a statement uh, from Afghanistan <laughs> uh, condemning this act. Um, of course, it was his spokesman that made the statement, but uh, it was the continuing violence that uh, created this uh, condemnation by the... Uh, by David, uh, General David Petraeus. By the way, I've been reading uh, Bob Woodward's uh, Obama's Wars, uh, sort of in connection with both the Afghan escalation and the Libya policy, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But, uh, you know, to sort of say, well, the American media didn't report this, and thus we're not... You know, he staged a mock trial. That's another thing that's very troubling about this event. Um, he th th this, this basically goes back a couple of weeks ago. He staged a mock trial on the 20th of March um, in which he presided over the mock trial and actually uh, utilized an imam from Dallas, probably a fake, mm, to participate no in this mock trial in which he put the Koran on trial. And uh, this is just reprehensible <clears throat> conduct and... <clears throat> 
It's it's amazing. Uh, you know, as of today, well, as of today's New York Times, uh, the total number of people that have died in Afghanistan as a result of this is 24. So these are widespread riots. They're not going to go away. And uh, for his his idiotic statement, the time has come to hold Islam accountable. <laughs> is remarkable. Uh, I don't know if this will hasten our departure from Afghanistan, but uh, it should be considered, uh, given the fact that we are spending about $90 billion a year in Afghanistan uh, with a very... Uh, limited return? <laughs> limited return, murky, murky, you know, results, problems with Karzai continue. Um, he exploited this uh, this uh, Koran uh, situation himself. Mm-hmm. For his own political reasons, but this is these are the consequences of these kinds of actions. And he, of course, uh, made a lot of publicity last uh, fall when he wanted to do this on 9-11, of all dates, uh, in the midst of all the brouhaha that was going on in New York about the so-called Islamic Center. So there's uh, very troubling stuff continuing here in the United States with the demagogues yeah, here well. at home. One other uh, potential consequence worthy of consideration is if uh, the pastor, uh, Terry, don't call me St. Looney of the Cream Bun and Jam Jones, um, wants to engage in what is clearly um, pretty volatile political discourse, then perhaps his tax-exempt status needs to be reconsidered. Uh, There are a number of uh, frauds who uh, hide behind that tax-exempt status in the cloak of religiosity, who really are uh, nothing but uh, political, you know, operatives, really. Yeah, and it's interesting oh. that the jurors in the so-called mock trial were 12 members of Mr. Jones's church, the Dove World Outreach Center. And uh, the New York Times reports that some Florida church members say that they fear for their safety now. Well, gee, uh, is that quote from the Bible? You reap what you sow. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of the more inspired passages of the Bible. <laughs> well, actually, I think that line uh, turns up in one form or another in the Quran as well. But uh, clearly, they've not read that one very closely. Inciting uh, violence uh, never a good idea, and when it comes from a man allegedly of the cloth. Uh, we have to wonder what that cloth is made of. <laughs> well, speaking of other uh, bizarre um, cultural incidents, you know, the governor of Maine, uh, Paul LePage, he's made all sorts of uh, headlines joining in the fray regarding collective uh, bargaining, etc. I think that the Republican Party must have had a mayor uh, governor's conference meeting sometime over the... Uh, the holiday this past year, in which they decided that collective bargaining would be their new whipping boy, their blunt instrument of uh, stupidity. And uh, for him to haul down a mural, uh, this mural, I saw it, it, it's not quite of the caliber of the Diego uh, Rivera mural at the DIA, but uh, thematically sort of along those lines. And for him to... Uh, take this down, claiming that it uh, promotes organized labor and undermines the contributions of, quote, entrepreneurialism, is one of the most bizarre uh, acts of all time. This is 
art, public art. And uh, this is offensive. And he gets a brain damage award. Deservedly so. <clears throat> well, geez, I mean, <laughs> collective, collective bargaining has been recognized as a right of working peoples for nearly a century. So to attack it now, uh, what's next on the Republican agenda? You know, no more women in the workplace? Negroes, back to the soil. W- what next? I mean, how far back do they want to turn the clock? It's it's rather remarkable. Um, and and if he needs a new mural, he ought, to, he ought to put up the Wall Street bankers along with Donald Trump and his hairdo. I think that would be <laughs> real appropriate and <laughs> might spark some outrage. Or at least some uh, violently ill reactions. Just make sure that they work on the comb over with uh, Donald's hair, you know. <laughs> Get it well, right. Let's see how long his, uh, you know, saber rattling about running for president lasts. Yeah. Not sure that the hairpiece uh, will cooperate with that endeavor. But of course, he made a lot of headlines last week, continuing to jump on the birther bandwagon mm-hmm. while he contemplates his run for the presidency. So, <clears throat> lunacy alive and well here in the United States. I've always said that America has more idiots than the rest of the world combined. That could be. I'm not sure uh, if I really dare to uh, put that uh, assertion to the challenge. It might be too disappointing to find the answer. That's a new uh, thing they need on the census form. Confirmed idiot. Maybe we could uh, tally them up. Well, uh, one quick and easy way of counting those are... uh, you know, who gets their news from Fox? Yeah. That's clearly an indicator. Um, well, food and fuel costs have gone up, and that boosts consumer spending. So on the one hand, uh, consumer spending is good to see a boost in consumer spending. That usually speaks to such matters as confidence and, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more uh, loosening of the purse strings. But when uh, food and fuel are what's boosting consumer spending, this is not a good thing. Yeah, that's the old joke about there is no inflation unless you drive or eat. Right. <laughs> so uh, you have to spend more for the basics of getting to work and sustaining your physical body. Uh, that's not really the kind of uh, increase in spending we want to see. Uh, good news for farmers, particularly grain farmers, as uh, prices soar. And, of course, this is awkward, uh, as I quote here from Gregory Meyer and Hal Weitzman, who write in the March 31st Financial Times, grain farmers are on the winning side of the food price rise that the World Bank estimates has pushed 44 million more people into extreme poverty. At the Chicago Board of Trade, the prices of corn, soybeans, and wheat have respectively gained 90, 40, and 55 percent in the past year. Now, far be it from me to critique uh, American farmers, who, of course, have been heavily hit uh, since the 80s with all sorts of problems, economic problems. So it's great to see American farmers doing well. But here, again, is the age old, and there's a number of good uh, Bertolt Brecht, Kurt Vile songs about, ah, supply and demand. Uh, poverty means wealth. Suffering means luxury. There's got to be a better way to imagine the world where farmers can flourish and people can eat. Yeah. It's, and, it's uh, really upsetting to see this kind of disparity. 
And that kind of disparity in those percentages, of course, are troubling because obviously there have been some uh, weather-related uh, issues connecting mm-hmm. uh, connected to the food supply, including uh, a very bad drought uh, in uh, China, in some of their agricultural regions, the flooding in Pakistan, flooding in Pakistan, and of course the um, uh, problems in Russia last year mm-hmm. with the forest fires uh, in in their grain region. Uh, strangely, of course, Wall Street, it, this is another example of the insidious role that they play in sometimes distorting these prices because the speculators jack those prices up. And when you mention 90%, that strikes me as uh, a little out of bounds, but uh, yeah, perfectly compatible with the uh, so-called free market. And we often... That phrase is thrown around a lot here in the United States, but these markets are often rigged. <laughs> They're not free, and uh, there's a lot of speculation involved sometimes in these, uh, uh, shall we say, undeserved rises in prices. And, of course, some of the oil uh, price mm-hmm. increases that we've seen over the last couple of months that, oddly, Michelle Bachman, uh, will give her a brain damage award, has attributed to Barack Obama's energy policies. In fact... America's oil production is at a 17-year high right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's just flat-out wrong. There is one advantage to higher gas prices, uh, though higher gas prices, of course, mean higher food prices. Uh, Food needs to be transported to markets, to grocery stores, etc. And I've certainly seen uh, some increases in vegetable prices, uh, something that I buy a lot of and Mm -hmm. care more about than, say, the price of soybeans, which uh, don't affect me as much. I do eat tofu, but not that much. (laughs) In any event, um, it is this complicated interaction, and maybe it was uh, encouraging to see that uh, fuel-efficient vehicles uh, sales went way up in March Mm -hmm. due to the increase in fuel prices. And needless to say, violence in the uh, Middle East uh, connected to the Libya situation is part of the... uh, Reason that oil prices have gone up uh, qu- quite a bit. I think if they stay near the $100 barrel, I don't think that's the end of the world. But if they start inching up back to where they were in 2008, and let's remember that George Bush was president in 2008, Ms. Bachman. Uh, I don't remember her coming out and condemning President Bush in the summer of 2008 for his energy policies that uh, may have impacted the price of oil in 2008 and, of course, contributed to the uh, stock market crash, the banking crisis, and the collapse, uh, to some extent, in American uh, auto sales. And uh, certainly natural disasters have played a role. Uh, it was reported this uh, over the weekend that Japanese auto sales have plummeted uh, 40% since the tsunami mm-hmm. earthquake. So these things are interconnected, but uh, if we can seriously go into the uh, the clean energy business more aggressively, uh, and uh, Obama has at least at in the big picture in the speeches that he gives has advocated this, though I think that some of the follow up has been uh, maybe a little short. It's interesting, for instance, in a uh, recent report. Uh, that I'm reading from The Nation magazine here, the January 30, uh, 31st edition, um, an article by David Fenton, who is a, uh, let's see, a CEO of Fenton, a public interest communications firm. 
uh, reports energy analysts have calculated that to charge a plug-in hybrid or fully electric vehicle with wind power at today's prices costs the equivalent of well under $1 a gallon of gas. Um, quoting from this uh, report by the uh, McKinsey and Company 2009 report, Unlocking Energy Efficiency in the United States Economy, in which they uh, write that uh, for every dollar spent making businesses and appliances more efficient, we'll get two in return. The same report estimates that the United States <coughs> could reduce annual energy consumption by 23% with net dollar savings, not counting savings for transportation from vehicles, which would add even more. And this is based on the price of fossil fuels remaining constant, which it won't. Mm. So it's interesting, since uh, this article was published, um, energy prices have probably gone up a, a 15 10 to 15 percent in terms of the price of a barrel of oil and probably even more at the pump because it's now being reported that four dollar gallon of gas is occurring in some places across America and indeed here in Michigan. I think it's all already up to 375 in that range. So um, as the saying goes, to quote uh, the new uh, mayor-elect of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, there's never a reason to allow a crisis to go to waste. <laughs> so Indeed. if you can take advantage of higher um, gas prices on the good side, and obviously there are downsides to it, bad aspects to it, um, maybe we can get America working again. Well, that would be great. And uh, certainly uh, we have money to spare. We just don't have money to spare for the things that used to matter. And as an advocate of the clean energy, I, I'm not naive to believe that this can replace fossil fuels or even nuclear in the short term. We just need to go full bore, full steam ahead, pardon the expression, on clean energy to augment um, our dependence on fossil fuels. Um, Obama gave a speech last week, I forget where it was, in which he... Uh, made some uh, probably unrealistic uh, goal of trying to reduce our dependence on foreign oil by a third over the next decade. Uh, this will probably not happen, um, but it should. Well, it's never too late to start thinking about and planning for the future. I've talked about this numerous times on the program over the years. In the uh, middle of the uh, Carter presidency, he commissioned a report called uh, Global 2000, and it was sort of a look ahead, what will uh, the state of the world be with regards to resources, uh, environment, etc., by the year 2000. Well, the report took quite a while to compile and uh, really landed on the desk of the new Reagan administration, who promptly put it aside and really in the outbox. It ended up getting published by uh, Penguin Books a couple years later. <clears throat> Had that report been taken seriously, who knows how far along we'd be in already enjoying these technologies, which now we have to simply continue to argue for. Hey, let's consider them. Uh, we've wasted a lot of time in this country by not having an energy policy, and that's another ridiculous thing about the comment about Obama's energy policy is what's uh, causing these high oil prices. This country's never really had an energy policy, and uh, to do so would be a good idea. 
Well, and most presidents, uh, dating back even as far back as Richard Nixon, have made the claim that we're going to reduce our dependence Mm -hmm. on foreign oil, but it just doesn't happen because there's not enough um, follow-through. There's not enough, uh, shall we say, Manhattan Project or uh, Apollo moon landing approach to an all-out effort uh, in which the government plays a big role in uh, creating uh, uh, tax incentives, um, uh, investment incentives, et cetera, to get going in this area. You right. know, it's, for instance, encouraging to know that the government provides a 30 percent uh, tax incentive for geothermal. And while geothermal is not going to uh, solve America's energy problem, at the micro level, if you live in an area of the country or have um, a housing situation in which you can install a geothermal um, heat pump system, which basically takes advantage of the the Earth's temperature Mm -hmm. and, and is used for both heating and cooling, in which you pump out cold air, uh, in the winter and pump in cool air in the summer, so to speak, you know, goes down into the earth, uh, this can work and can save you a considerable amount of money. Now, there is an obviously a big initial investment cost up front, but it will pay off in the long run. And if you're, say, a young family with stable employment situation, um, consider a geothermal uh um, uh, operation for your house if you live in a house where this can be done, where, you know, the crew can come out and dig down and it's messy for a while, but uh, will pay off in the long run. And we need more long run thinking. I think Obama's got a lot of uh, <coughs> flaws, but I think the one good thing about Obama continues to be, I think that the overall big picture that he has about our problems uh, is got America really headed in the right direction long term. Right. There's bumps, bruises, setbacks along the way. Um, today, of course, we had the uh, Eric Holder uh, press conference about the college Sheik uh, Muhammad uh, trial that's going to unfortunately be in Guantanamo Bay. But once again, it was the demagoguery of politicians that wouldn't allow this trial to take place in New York. Fascinating from my perspective, because the last thing that the Bush administration or any Republican politician would want is a public trial uh, in New York City in which embarrassing revelations may come out about the various connections between bin Laden, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the Pakistani intelligence, the CIA, and uh, some unanswered questions about 9-11. Much better to have it held in a military situation down in Guantanamo Bay, which is actually in Cuba. And, of course, it's the obstruction of the funding. It's the denial of the funding and the fact that you had congressmen like Peter King, who's always uh, good for uh, anti-Islamic demagoguery, as his recent uh, hearings proved, to come out and say, this will cost New York City a billion dollars and we won't be safe and blah, blah, blah. Well... All of this is uh, false. (laughs) And uh, we do jail and have jailed many terrorists uh, here at home. And I would uh, recommend that Holder find some uh, legal loophole to arrest Terry Jones, a pseudo-pastor from Tallahassee, uh, for inciting terrorism. The evidence speaks for itself. Indeed. Rather boldly. 
Well, I don't know if you caught Obama's uh, little speech on Libya. Oh, Libya. Yeah, I I saw it. I thought it was sort of standard Obama, pretty good with the arguments and the substance. And I thought it was interesting that Gates uh, the next day followed it up with an emphatic, uh, no, there will be no ground troops on my watch. So I think that the limits are clearly there in the policy. Obviously, the Libyan situation is... Where Obama has problems, I think, is, you know, when he says he must go, it's, it's as I said last week, it's, he's going to have a problem with the goalposts being moved on him. If Gaddafi is not, quote, removed from power, which strikes me as uh, rather improbable in the short term, uh, long term, perhaps uh, something may change. But the uh, NATO uh, airstrike policy is very analogous to what happened with the Bosnian situation. Mm. Uh, There are not ground troops contemplated, I believe, in any way, shape or form by the Obama administration. But the big problem is the the hawks and the agitators for more violence and more war in the United States are uh, going to be overrepresented on television. And uh, Obama's problem is that he may, uh, hopefully he won't be, but he may uh, eventually, the, the policy will be perceived as a failure if Gaddafi is in fact not removed. It strikes me that this sort of rebel rebel advances one day and retreats the next day. This The situation in Libya militarily isn't going to go uh, very far. Um, and I think that arming the rebels is a, is a terrible idea. The United States has poor... Um, a poor history with this. Let's remember, we armed the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Look where that that, that uh, turned out. We armed the Contras in Nicaragua. That didn't work ter- terribly well. We armed UNITA in Angola, another failure. Uh, we supported despotic governments in El Salvador, uh, the Philippines, uh, Guatemala, the, con- Guatemala the Congo. It's There's a long record of America's involvement which it doesn't have the intelligence on the ground to properly uh, ascertain exactly where to go and what's the best policy to pursue. I somewhat reject this other nonsense that's emanated last week. What's fascinating about the Libya debate is how it's divided the right huh. in America. There are some, like McCain, people that are connected to the Project for the New American Century and the neocons in general, uh, um, advocating... Escalation. Who could imagine that Paul Wolfowitz would be interviewed on television extensively all last week as an expert on the Middle East? This is one of the dumbest people that's ever served in the American government. Cowlick aside. <laughs> and he's got a cowlick in the front of his, his hairline, not the back. Uh, so, staggering. Well, he sure. was wrong at every turn on Iraq, that's yeah. for sure. Every turn, and yet he's being portrayed as an expert on why we should escalate. Then there are others claiming, and Michelle Bachman never to be um, silent on anything, (laughs) is now publicly declaring that the rebels in Libya are connected to al-Qaeda, so we can't possibly arm them. When it shows, I think, that the rebels in Libya are kind of a hodgepodge, disorganized entourage. There's no uh, clear leadership. Um, the defection of the foreign minister with the with the hilarious name. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm looking for that here. I, when, when Musa Kusa. Musa Kusa. I kept thinking, Lusa Gusa. Um, <clears throat> well, to follow Bachman's argument, we should take sides with Gaddafi. Where, where's the parachute? Where, where's the Rudolf 